Hello, I'm Rob Hirschfeld, CEO and co-founder of RackN and your host for the Cloud 2030 podcast. In this episode, we break into an item that is top of the news. The Red Hat changes in how they publish the source code for CentOS, CentOS Stream specifically. But unlike all the other conversations that I've heard, we actually dive in to how enterprises can inoculate themselves from this type of disruptive change, what it actually means for the ecosystem of vendors, how we can build better software in response to the potential fragmentation of Red Hat Linux, Enterprise Linux or Enterprise Linux distros. Uh, this was a surprising conversation because we really dug up a lot of important trends in how companies depend on Linux stability um, and what they could do. If you are in this boat with all of us, uh, looking at how to have stable, long-term, secure uh, infrastructure using Linux, you will love this podcast. For um, for topics, I want I, the one I had on the calendar was to, to finally talk about the Reddit outage. Um, but the with the CentOS changes, I'd be happy to pivot around and talk about that if we'd rather if we'd rather uh, discuss. And Susa just entered the fray um, on that. Yeah, I saw about that. Um, and uh, Oracle also entered that fray i haven't seen what oracle said about it they, i'm they, super curious yeah I, i'm paraphrasing but they, they essentially chastised ibm for closing their source okay um which is quite rich coming from oracle <laughs> but, but yeah now at, at least uh on the pr side oracle is the champion of open source <laughs> on their own PR side, at least, yes. <laughs> oh, dear. That is actually ironic coming from Oracle. Very, very. But, um, yeah. So, it's... so are they doing anything more than just wringing their hands and saying we were upset? I mean, at least SUSE put is putting $10 million into, be, into helping maintain a distro. And I haven't seen... If Rocky or Alma or uh, Oracle are like actually agreeing to collaborate around a repo set, that would be ideal. Yeah, essentially, uh, I, I, I posted the, the article here from, from the register. Oh, cool. But um, the reg has to say. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, My take on this is that Oracle is worried about their upstream sources because they they, they themselves are enterprise Linux distribution. Mm -hmm. So they're that they're they're at least in, in my opinion they're, they're they're mostly just saying like, hey, Red Hat, let us continue using your. Well, your source code. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, uh, 
Sorry, I shouldn't laugh so much. I mean, it, let, let me let me ask it this way: is 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 it a legitimate statement to just feel like everybody's taking advantage of poor Red Hat in this case? Um, I, I know I'm being provocative, I mean, but I'm on purpose. I would say yes and no. So, so it, it's legitimate that that people are using Red Hat's source for free and, and redistributing it. Okay. The problem is that up until recently, for its entire lifetime, that was Red Hat's business. They positioned <laughs> themselves in a way to say, like, hey, use our source code. We are a stable district. We are enterprise-rated distro. So yeah. pivoting on that is... Um, I mean, it, it does not put them in a good light. And, and, and this is why people are upset with, with them. Yeah. Well, uh, how, and I have no idea how much business they actually lose to these clones. Um, are we, I, it, I suspect it's pretty significant. Um, and I also know they... And they do put a ton of engineering into what goes into that distro. But I, so there's a part of me that's like, okay, I get it. You're maintaining an enterprise distro and you're making sure that everything's right. But the only thing that makes their version, uh, God, I don't want to, I'm not, I'm not going to try and rehash the whole, the whole nuance, although at some point we're, we'll end up discussing it. But the, the only thing that, that makes their distro cannot, oh, I was going to say that makes their distro canonical. Uh, um, sorry, that makes their distro the distro is the fact that it's Red Hats and people subscribe to it and have the enterprise right there. Otherwise, you're just back in the, you know, I have, I'm using the same kernel, kernels line for line, but all the other mm. stuff they have, if, you know, you're yeah, going to have, you're going to be back to slight variations. From a business perspective, the main appeal of Red Hat is that you have a fairly reasonably reasonably responsive patching um, cycle. Right. Where if a CV comes out, um, Red Hat is much more reliable in, in patching them. Uh, like particularly mm. when they're when they're not severe CVs, um, Ubuntu largely de depends on on volunteer uh, package maintainers. Um, oh, okay. And, and, and as a as a result, for the vulnerabilities that that are considered insignificant by the package maintainer. They they may not be patched for for years or or until the the software or like the new version of the software is is included in, in the next release. How much of this is package? Is package libraries? I guess uh, a lot of I mean a lot of what you get with a distro is not just oh here is the OS, but here's all the packages and auxiliary components that go into installing it. A lot of it is the the, the backporting side, I think, yeah. uh, and I suspect also 
Right. Going on a sideline, but I suspect also this is one of the reasons why Ubuntu is um, putting their money on snaps because it allows them to oh. provide up-to-date packages uh, without having to backport software. So I didn't realize can... that was a benefit of snaps. Okay. Well, I mean, it's a benefit of like of of the the snap on on flatback distribution model is that well you can have a much faster update cadence without breaking your release because if, if you like if if you have snap or flatback that that has a dependency on a newer library version you can install it in the inside the snaps um, context oh okay uh, without affecting anything else that's installed. Like you bypass the dependency hell. That's a that is a significant advantage. Yeah. Okay. Um, but um, but yeah. So so going back to Red Hat, so so they are one of the archetypical stable distros. Like you know, things don't change unless they need to. <laughs> and yeah. and again, like Red Hat has been really good at. Um, uh, to providing backports or providing patches, uh, particularly on the security side of things, which is why they are well respected as a distribution. Right. But what they yanked was literally access to those backports. Because I exactly. mean, if they fix something, you're going to see it in stream. Yay, everybody will see that. And the 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 new version should actually stay in pretty good sync, but those backports are going to become invisible. And that's where your people I mean, yeah. you're just gonna they're gonna start guessing. Exactly. Oh, yeah. But, you know, and which could be it's you know, it's not gonna be exact. It's that would be almost impossible to do. Um with, uh, yeah. Wait, which, which again from, from the business side of the thing, it, it is understandable that a company wanting to make a profit would want to restrict that access. Unfortunately, like those are GPL packages. They they are. I don't know if contractually is the is the is the right word, but they are obligated to release that source code because they're they're modifying a uh, a GPL piece of software. Right. Well, this is this is a place where you you actually would want foundation model because ideally that enterprise Linux would come right. You, you have, we have at least four vendors, we've five vendors that we've named, if you include Red Hat, uh, right? Alma, Rocky, SUSE, and Oracle. There's others too, because I know the cloud providers have their own variants on the same, on the same code line mm -hmm. um, that all want to have a single source for a on, on a, you know so at that have prop the fixes propagated across multiple versions that everybody can agree with that a foundation would actually cover that really well yeah um I, and I actually um the news of this morning was that sue's got uh, a uh significant uh chunk of funding uh for maintaining packages so it it is yeah quite likely that they're going to be forking enterprise Linux, or at least that that's what the grapevine says right 
Uh, and in which case, it, it may well be that Alma and Rocky and, and other ones uh, will switch over to, to Zeus uh, for, for that. And then Red Hat is going to end up being the downstream one. I think that would be fascinating. Um, I mean, I, I would... If Red Hat's complaint is that they it's expensive to maintain the distro then then allowing other people to play with it would be you know people manage to do this with kubernetes and other another things pretty well but when there's enough parties that are interested commercially then then having a neutral you know uh source of truth is important the, the challenge would be if you're red hat and you're you want to be quick on getting your you know you have a contract and you say yeah i want to be quick to get this patch in you can get into a challenge in a, in a shared code model where different people want to put the patch in different ways. So there's an argument about it and it takes a while for the patch to land. Yeah. Um, um, this may also set the stage for different types of distros to take the, the forefront. Like the, there's mm -hmm. been several experiments with uh, like immutable core distros, mm -hmm. um, uh, distros like NixOS, uh, which essentially make the, the need to have snaps or flat packs redundant. Um, and, right. uh, and, and yeah, it, it may just well, will be that um, the, the landscape of Linux distros in five years from now is, is going to look a lot different from what it is now. I, I, I think that's a safe statement. I have trouble believing that the immutable distros are from an enterprise standard I, I have trouble seeing them as getting the adoption because of where the burden goes um maybe I, I i may i might need to i need to unpack that to make it more understandable but what were you going to say i i think it, it depends on on how things change with with regards to security uh best practices mm, okay uh, so with server distros we are still with at least one generation behind in, in security practices versus let's say containerized applications like the like the big revolution with with containerized applications was that you had a very good way of limiting the the blast radius of vulnerabilities right um and and it's been and, and server addresses have been i, I don't want to say dragging their feet but but they've been slow on on the uptake on on on, on some of these um approaches but in yeah. many cases with, with good reason like when when you have an lts uh, uh, release that, that you need to support for 10 years you just cannot make changes to it that quickly. Uh, but it may it may well be that, uh, and, and I, I think that that's what Red Hat was experimenting with with, uh, with their um, with Fedora Stream, it, it is that like you move away, like like you try to move their their clients away from like that this whole like big monolithic server uh uh particularly big 
monolithic general purpose server and then start switching to like um more more domain specific solutions where you can you can take advantage of uh pare down oss okay. um similarly to to what esx uh did for for virtualization like like uh vmware's uh os like esx it, it's it is essentially a an, an immutable core or at least a fairly immutable core like it has you can run it off of a, of a USB stick. It does, doesn't doesn't use it for swapping. Doesn't do, use it for temporary files. Um, and then you have the your persistence attached to it. On other volumes, um, right. I, mm -hmm. I I think a lot of uh, server distributions are going to start looking at similar things where they can have a a stable core. That they themselves maintain, plus a subsystem where they where they can enable users to run their processes, um, and like it, it may well also be that uh, we 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 start adopting a, a like a an approach that like uh, FreeBSD has done with, with Shales, or where pretty much any any service in FreeBSD you. You can practically run it in a jail. Right. Um, okay. Now, jails themselves are certainly not as preferred by the majority of developers as containers <laughs> and, and, and other things. Uh, yeah. But there, there's a lot of things that it, that it did right. Um, yeah. So, again, like this is me being optimistic about oh, this. Like, it could it could well be that that things could just go absolutely bonkers and. Um, we end up uh, mired with uh, legal problems and, and whatnot. Sorry, yeah, I have some background noise. Um, I here here's here's where I get I <laughs> I I like the way you're. <laughs> I wish enterprises could easily do what you're describing. I. Um, like and they, it's funny because they actually have like some of our customers have to do this like with VMware. VMware has this, you know, you have to build your own ISOs to inject um, specialized stuff into those ISOs. But they they really really struggle with it, and it's a pretty manual process for them just for that one product. Hmm. Um, uh, and we we know this because we we inject uh, in our current versions of VMware control stuff, we inject a, a version and we produce a, a sort of a standard ISO that people can use, but some, you know, fair number of our customers have built their own ISOs, but it's a, it's a totally manual process for them to do that. Um, and they, they get mad and upset and VMware is always trying to change it um, to be more packagey, um, which is hard. The, the thing that, the thing that I, Feel like keeps people from doing that for enterprises is they they get into these situations where they have um vendor dependencies that they have to add usually as an rpm into a kernel like they'll build it they'll certify it they get um it would make a ton of sense for them to to do a nix style like 
hey, the security team has built the kernel and here it is, it has those packages. But generally they get an, an RPM or some application that has to get installed on the security blessed version. Mm -hmm. And whoever is selling them that stuff doesn't change it very often and they don't port it to new versions of the OS very often. And so you end up with this idea that, you know, I have a you know two-year-old version of Red Hat Linux. It has three security patches that have been absorbed into it. So it's now a new version. I can't go and get, you know, the current version. I have to take the, the dot release of whatever version that the vendors updates work for that I'm adding into the system. And so they end up like, the, the composition has to happen late or, you know, at, I, at install time. And, and so the fact that you can, you know, say, oh, I have, here is my RPM. It runs on this version of Linux, on, of, of RHEL compatible Linux. Then th that works for the enterprises really well, in, in part because they're not, they don't, they don't have the more adapted processes that you're describing. Also works for the vendors really well. Because then they can write that for, you know, Red Hat and Alma and Rocky and Oracle and at least cover a fair bit of the market. We take that away, then we're going to have to be producing potentially binaries across multiple distros. I know exactly what you're talking about. Okay. Because I experienced that myself with a vendor that I'm not going to name, but it was a security sensor. And yes, they that doesn't like new the newest kernels because they're they're always a couple of weeks behind uh releasing uh the kernel modules for, for that yeah um i i am hopeful that EP, ebpf will slowly make these kind of vendors obsolete and, and that uh instead again just ebpf modules will will take over and then be much more portable. It's, it's definitely already happening, happening in, in the Kubernetes world. Huh, where the eBPF is providing some Linux kernel stability? Yeah, or, oh, like if, for, okay. for example, um, like Falco, which is a common security sensor in Kubernetes. Um, it, it it has various options to 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 install its uh, its its agent. You you can either install a kernel module, or you can, you can just use eBPF. And, and in fact, with eBPF, um, the the um the performance is even better because it in in order to perform its logic for 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 monitoring. It it never needs to leave kernel space, so so you don't do as many context mm, switches. Right. Um, Cloudflare is Interesting. is also yeah. using EBF EBF pretty heavily for their networking stuff, for the same reason right. that that they don't need to do as many context switches. So but does that does that isolate you from the distro? Can it? I mean, yeah. so I guess, oh, so instead of having to build a package at, at a low level that depends on the kernel or depends on binary packaging as much, you can 
use eBPF to bypass the need for that binary packaging. Yeah. So, so with for example, okay. with the DKMS, you, you need to build your your kernel module for the exact same for exact version of the kernel that you have. Like even even if, if your kernel has a patch release, then that's a that's a new module that you need yeah. to compile for that. But that's EBPF, for, that's for you don't do compatibility that. Compatibility is is no. for bug compatibility. So do, does that mean, I mean, BPPF is relatively new, it's relatively new from a kernel perspective, although I think it's been available for a little while. Ah, it still doesn't help us with these, I mean, some of what we're talking about are these la relatively laggard district, you know, components. Like we're, <laughs> we support stuff that ends up being pretty old, frankly. Um, yeah. Yeah, and, and and this is where it's gonna be a matter of time. So so once all of the the LTS distros support eBPF. So let's say we're 2023 now, so which which distro is going out of LTS uh with Ubuntu uh next year, is it? 1804, I believe. Yeah. But they're not uh, they're in a six-year cycle. So that means that as of next year, all of Ubuntu distros will have a kernel that is recent enough to have eBPF available. <laughs> all the ones uh, that Red Hat is going are still supporting, yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> I mean it, 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 if 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 someone is running a, a, a like a, a a version that dies out of support, well, the... then yeah, then they're not going to get patches and fixes anyway. The yeah. interesting thing to me is like conversations I've had in the enterprise, people they they actually want to try and run faster. Um, like they're they're I've, I've had multiple conversations like this about um, the enterprise standard is RHEL, but RHEL is not moving fast enough on machine machine learning updates. Mm -hmm. So they have teams that are bypassing the security approved Linux running in the cloud where they can use Ubuntu or Debian based systems for AI workloads. And their infrastructure teams would host those workloads, except that they don't have access to a, a distro that is has the packages that they need to run the, that workload. And so they're going to cloud, not because of cost, not because of availability, you know, infrastructure availability in their own site. They're going there strictly because the um, OS that they need is not available. Yeah, they're, they're using the cloud as a DMC. Uh, and and the, the the crazy thing here is that we're we're sitting here worried about you know how three year old versions of CentOS Red Hat are going to be propagated in the community, and the enterprise people I'm talking to are actually like. I need to figure out how to not be using three-year-old versions of Linux. Yep. Well, th th this is why. Uh, yeah. Like th th this is the the kind of thing that that I, I'm getting a sense is, is happening a lot more often, uh, and, and, and and much of this has been um, has been spearheaded by the revolution in containerization. Like th this is this is. This is the release cycle of containerized applications 
bleeding back into stable server distros. Uh, and this is why I think that that we're gonna see a significant change uh, again with 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 uh, with big paradigm shifts like, like um, NixOS and, and 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 potentially even lot like uh, Amazon's Flatcar and, and stuff. Uh, so these are gonna be and and this just with um, with the immutable cores. Um, the there is a um, nowadays a much higher demand to be um, to be flexible than there's a demand to be stable. Uh, and, hmm. and and uh, and one of the lessons learned from containerization is that like if you update often and fast enough, then it is okay to break things every once in a, in a while. Because right. you can recover from it much faster. Well, that would be the way if if you had distros where the fixes were getting implemented in different ways, you would, um, you know, if you found a bug, you would hopefully be able to incorporate, you know, go back to the vendor and get that get that change fixed or something like that. But yeah, yeah. The, I'm, I'm, but most, but I, I will, I will. Our experience has been, um, it can be incredibly hard to get new builds of anything from vendors, even that are actively selling or actively maintaining software. Like I, I'm starting to find that like the, we do a continuous release process. On, on that is very unusual. The fact that we can slip in a change in you know almost immediately and have a have code available in an hour or two that you know has incorporates the fix. Mm-hmm. Most most of these companies, like if if you found a bug in something, it, it might take months to get um, something to you know a way to fix it. I think uh, one of the would help, but yeah, yeah. I, I think one of the things that is going to be a driving factor in changing this is that. Governments now have a much different stance on security management because unlike 20 years ago, you can no longer assume that your systems are isolated. Like, like for the most part, systems need to be connected. Like information is much more valuable than absolute isolation. So there is a lot of push to modernize and revamp the requirements that governments are putting on um, on their on their on the vendors that provide solutions for them. Uh, one of these that was um, it, it was debated whether it was going to happen this year. It hasn't. But it's still looming there on the horizon. Is like software bill material, and um, and and just uh, the uh, a much higher higher patching cadence. So, if governments start changing their tune and say like, it okay, th- this needs to be patchable within let's say 30 days which is a pretty good standard right. um and you no longer get an exception for this mm-hmm. then the pressure is going to be on the vendors to change because if the vendors don't change 
then the users aren't going to switch to a different vendor. Like right now, there's a lot of inertia, but there, there's again, there's only a certain threshold after at, at which the the inertia is, is no longer practical. Yeah. No, and, and this is where Red Hat being the dominant has been. Um, they've been able to to enjoy some behaviors that in a in a different in a in a, in a more open or a more diverse market might be might be different. Challenge is that the enterprises don't want to have a lot of <laughs> a lot of software distros. But I could easily see a case where what you're describing is you know the enterprise calls up. You know, rack n, rack n says, yeah, we fixed it for Alma. Right? This is our primary discovery image is based on Alma. Yeah, we fixed that in Alma is you know, yet yeah, yeah, last week before you called us up. And they're like, well, but we're using the CentOS version of that. And we're like, I we don't have access to that. This we we can't get that, you know. Uh sorry, we're using RHEL. We're 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 part of this thing is we're talking about supporting a RHEL discovery image for this reason. And we'd be like, well, we can't easily fix it in in our RHEL version because we don't have access to the sources um, to to run and test that you know to release version that that you built. Um, I, I mean, our our solution is going to be there. You know, we'll do this with an automated build. So at that point, it'd be like, yeah, update the sources and rebuild, and that'll be faster. But we wouldn't do it by default. The way you're describing, we'd have to be driven, but that could that could actually prompt these enterprises to say, you know what, maybe we should switch to Alma, or Rocky, or Oracle, or SUSE, yeah. or or perhaps to a distro like Ubuntu, like a, a, if mm. if Ubuntu's gamble with Snaps pays off, which is a big ah, if because. Okay. Snaps are not very well liked, really even by me. Progress. Yeah, but but if that gamble pays off, the and snaps become better at adopted, then they have a very good platform for providing or, or letting vendors provide a solution. Let's say like, okay, here's a, a snap package that I'm releasing, and any distro that uses snaps can just install. Doesn't matter whether you use Alma or CentOS or, or, or Debian or, or, or Arch, as long as you have snaps, you can install it. That I mean, it Flatpaks has shown that it works. The thing with Flatpaks, though, like is this is an, Flatpaks are entirely for UI-driven applications. The the one advantage that snaps have is that you can also produce snaps for command line applications. Like your entire command line tooling can can be distributed that way. This is one of the advantages that uh, just that NixOS has is that essentially they've built that model into their own package ma package manager, so they don't need a solution layer layered on top like Snaps. Then the nice things also about Nix is that you don't need to install their OS to to use Nix. Like you you can install Nix on another OS and, and start using the packages that way. So this might end up again. Um, um, it's an opportunity. Sorry. It's an opportunity yeah. for yeah. for companies to come back and and put in some Nix packaging, or for people internally to advocate more. Yeah. For I mean, yeah. but we're we're ultimately I think talking very similar stuff, which is enterprises 
who are consuming Linux should have some degree of build process for their for their their distro. I was actually it's interesting. I was going to write uh, maybe I'll add the CentOS pieces into this. Um, I was going to write a blog post about the power of um, building from raw materials. Um, yeah. I, and, and so part of what you're describing, I think, is actually a legitimate thing. It's like, um, you, know, uh, you know, Red Hat's shaking up the tree on this by, by you know, it was a very, CentOS, Red Hat's a very top-down thing. You you pick your distro and then everybody sort of conforms to it. So you you've made that top that top sound thing. What you're describing with Nixos and what what I was describing with sort of building the distro, the distros, even the VMware stuff, that's much more bottoms up. It's like, hey, I'm giving you the minimal set, and then you build a way to package in the things that you need, and then you can you can reassemble that really fast once you've built that process. I mean, the, interesting. The, it, it's more the. I like to liken this more uh, to um, the the way that we have it right now, at least in in terms of software distribution, is is similar to object oriented programming. So every okay. everything is is self contained. Uh, everything builds upon each other and it's containers within containers. Um, with with things like Flatpak, with with things like the Nix package manager, what okay. we're starting to see is a cross-cutting across distro families, where mm, okay, where you where you no longer have to say like okay, I I'm, I'm going to pick a, an RPM based distro or, or a, a Deb based distro. You could, you're just going to say like okay, I'm going to pick my distro, then I have the package manager that that hap and, and then happens to be able to just install any of the on on any of these OSs. And, and, and then it can install any of the packages that are provided by that package manager. Um, and what this gives, like th th this is beneficial on two sides. As a user, you can say, you can say like, okay, I, I know that my packages are available no matter what, what OS I pick. So I can just pick my base OS based on certain requirements, whether it's, Kernel security, whether it's performance or whatever. Mm -hmm. As a package maintainer, that's another advantage for me because I only need to release one version. Yes. No, I it would be from a from a somebody who is depending on the Linux community, then you're you're being independent of versions is a is a very big deal. Um and would help boy that. You know, it's interesting because it, do you think Red Hat in some ways because of their this sort of ecosystem that they've built and then now defend are su suppressing the the flat pack and Linux, right? Like they, they don't have as much motivation to, uh, you know, get people out of this idea that they have to have subscription to maintain, um, you know, very long-term support versions of the operating system. The, the, these walls could fall down much more than I'd, I'd been thinking. If, I don't if, know if if, if the if they have been suppressing or or even okay. have the ability to suppress, but um, yeah. they're they're certainly. I I don't think that they're going to be friendly to it. Like the, the Red Hat, 
it, its main appeal has been that it's it's been a very well integrated software mm. in that each like I it it I I don't want to use the word created, but but it it is still very as it is a very consistent experience with Red Hat. Um, they they've been capitalizing on this, and and of course, they they've they've made themselves a name for for being predictable. So so they still have that going for them, right? But the the thing is that I the appeal of predictability is still there, but the value of predictability has gone down. Huh. And, and this is because the the consumers have now a much shorter attention span. Interesting. It's shorter attention span or a smaller blast radius. Maybe that's the same thing. I, I, I'm thinking attention span okay. mainly because the the appeal of stable software has taken a backseat to the appeal of features, features, features. Okay, fair enough. So and and in many cases, like like adopting new features is no longer driven by the technologists who are, who are like, oh, this is shiny, I like it. They're driven by the business leaders who are looking at the new features that are coming out, who are looking at their competitors adopting these features. And are saying like, okay, if we don't adopt, we will die, we will become obsolete. And this cycle is accelerating. Yeah, I keep hoping we're going to pull back and and invest some in stability and technical debt and all the all the, all the things. But, and I, some of this stuff would though. I mean, what you're describing, a lot of these, a lot of the vectors for those things to be problematic are in the new features that people are adding. So the fa- the faster we can iterate those, and the more flexible while keeping you know the the base in, intact and and moving. Yeah, the, the, the cat's out of the bag. Like the, the the cycle of adoption of new features is, is not going to slow down. <laughs> but the best thing no. that we can do is shorten the lead time that we that we need to guarantee that new features are considered stable. On on, on oh, like things oh like boy. source pool of material, things like continuous applications to reduce the blast radius. I'm not even sure that you would can right. I wouldn't say stable. I would say that the 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 best the best outcome is that we are able to continuously deliver, so that the stability is actually in a continuous delivery stream, not in uh you know a vault with a lock that you know doesn't change very often. No, no. But by stable, I mean meets the the SLIs or or SLO. Okay. 
Like you, 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 if, if your system is up 99.99% of the time. Okay. And you can, and you can guarantee that by, by keeping uh, the latest version and, and, and updating frequently, then you, mm -hmm. then you can do that. You can bring in the, the, the new features and you can still maintain your, your SLA and you can, um, you can stay ahead of the curve in terms of relevancy. The, th the thing is that that Red Hat has made their business model to to avoid that kind of thing because up until very recently, like stability was only achievable by not changing things very often. No, that's right. I, I I think that that's a there's this could be the beginning of a C shift C shift. I like it. All right, we're we're over. This was this went a really interesting place, not the standard. Uh, oh no, Santos has changed uh, discussion, and I really appreciate that. So, thank you. Talk to y'all later. Cheers. Okay, thanks, Rob Klaus. Good luck getting everything clean, Josh. Thanks. See you next time. Wow, what a great conversation. Um, there is so much to unpack in this episode where we talk about ways in which you can improve the stability of your infrastructure without locking down into long-term stable uh, and what the industry is doing to create more opportunities and potentially things that you could be doing uh, or ways that you could be asking for vendors to deliver software to improve your stance and posture against potential changes like this. If this is interesting to you, please join us in these calls. They happen on a regular basis. We announce our topics in advance. You can see all of that posted at the 2030.cloud. Come be part of the roundtable. We would love to hear your questions, comments, and insights. I'll see you there. Thank you for listening to the Cloud 2030 podcast. It is sponsored by RackN, where we are really working to build a community of people who are using and thinking about infrastructure differently, because that's what RackN does. We write software that helps put uh, operators back in control of distributed infrastructure, really thinking about how things should be run and building software that makes that possible. If this is interesting to you, uh, please try out the software. We would love to get your opinion and, and, and hear how you think this could transform infrastructure more broadly. Or just keep enjoying the podcast and coming to the uh, discussions and you know laying out your thoughts and how you see the future unfolding. It's all part of building a better infrastructure operations community. Thank you.